What was my favorite part of my wedding day? What do I think about pastors using artificial intelligence to write their sermons? What was my biggest struggle in high school? What do I think about embryo adoption? We will be covering all of this and more on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Hope everyone's having a great day and a great week. Today I'm going to answer some of the questions that you guys sent. As always, we've got some good ones. Uh, First question, what are my thoughts on pastors using AI, artificial intelligence to help them write their sermons? Oh my goodness, what day and age are we living in? I mean, I don't personally like it, but you're talking to someone who also refuses to allow anyone to help me write anything, like my book, for example. It's very common, and I'm not saying it's unethical or anything, but it's very common for authors within my space to use a ghostwriter or to hire a researcher to write large chunks of their books. But I am so incredibly particular about my voice coming across in my writing and how writing sounds. And I was taught to write in such a particular way growing up that I can't do it. I cannot allow someone else to write for me unless they came along and they were able to like really, really capture my voice and what I wanted to say. I would accept help in that realm, but you will never find me using a ghostwriter. I don't even I don't have someone that writes my monologues or anything like that. Now that is more common. Other conservative commentators or conservative hosts, most of them, I would say, write their own monologues that they put into the teleprompter because it's really it's really difficult for someone to be able to, no matter how good they are at their job, to be able to capture what you exactly want to say and the exact words that you would use to describe something. So all that to say, what about pastors? Do I think pastors should hire or use artificial intelligence to write their sermons? I would say no. I don't know if it's entirely unethical for them to use artificial intelligence to help them in some ways, I guess, come up with some references, but I've never used ChatGPT. I don't want to feed the monster. But I, I, my understanding of how it works is that it wouldn't just be a research tool, but that they would be supplying you with certain ideas that you didn't come up with yourself. I don't like that. I guess I'm just now thinking about this, so I can't exactly put my finger on the reason why I think that that's just a little sketchy. Um, especially if they're coming up with the words and then you're reading them verbatim. It just feels like lying. It feels like cheating. And it feels like relying on, in a sense, a higher power that is not the Lord. Um, And so I, I just, I don't really like it. But, you know, a lot of pastors out there, they use each other's sermons. They... Um, they talk to each other or they listen to a sermon and then they will use very similar metaphors or similar anecdotes, actually not even similar, the same in their own sermons as say their friend uh, did in their sermon across the country. I don't like that. I don't like it. I think you should come up with your own stuff. It's not really that tough. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not that tough to come up with a good sermon because you have the word of God. Stick to that. 
There are so many amazing commentaries out there. There's so much good material, so many good resources. The Word of God itself is so rich with meaning and substance. You don't need AI. And if you do need AI, then you also might just need help in your ability to study scripture and your ability to deliver exegesis. And that might take some self-analysis for you. Um, I do think that pastors, while it's not necessary to be an excellent, eloquent speaker, I think that there's a biblical basis for that, that it's okay if you don't know every nook and cranny of every second and third tier theological issue um, in order to be a good pastor and to shepherd your flock. But I do think that there should be a greater emphasis placed on communication development for pastors, for preachers, for uh, people behind the pulpit, that that actually matters, that you can be really smart, you can be a really good shepherd, you can really know your Bible and still fail to deliver a message in a clear way. And I do wonder if a lot of pastors, maybe pastors who like being in front of people and they feel like they like communicating and they like the word of God, if they just don't think that they really need help with communication development. Um, I do wish more pastors would focus on that because there is a way to communicate clearly and there's a way to communicate confusingly. There are sermons that are better than others based on how they're delivered. And so, I don't know, as someone who loves communication, as someone who is not called uh, to be a pastor, um, I do, I do just, I'm sometimes I'm like, I really wish though that some pastors that they would just focus more on their communication skills and the formation of their sermon. I think it would be better to reach out to someone who is really good at that kind of thing rather than AI. Seems like a better resource there, a better connection to make. And then you can actually get godly wisdom from someone who is perhaps more experienced or more skilled than you. AI can't offer those things. And then also like AI, there it's run by people who probably are ideologically, religiously, theologically opposed to you. So how much can you really trust artificial intelligence to give you a solid interpretation of scripture? Anyway, long-winded answer to that question, but it's an interesting one. Okay, Carly Jean Los Angeles, one of my favorite companies ever. It's a family-run business. It was created for women to help us simplify our lives through easy, beautiful, and comfortable clothes. And let me just tell you, it has done that for me. I started shopping at Carly Jean Los Angeles a few years ago. Uh, they've been a sponsor supporter of the show for a long time. And I, my entire closet basically is Carly Jean Los Angeles because I love all of their clothes. They're really simple, really beautiful, fit me, and I think look flattering in every stage of life that I'm in, every season of the year. And I'm a simple gal. I'm not someone who likes a lot of like bright colors and big patterns and sequins and things like that. And so I really feel like I have a great, simple, beautiful variety in all of my Carly Jean Los Angeles clothes. Plus, I love that this is a family-run business run by a family that loves the Lord, that shares the values that you and I do. A lot of these women's clothing companies support 
men identifying as women, support, abortion, all the things that you and I are fighting against. You don't have to worry about that. When you buy your clothes from Carly Jean Los Angeles, you can know that you're supporting a company that is fighting for the things that you and I are. So go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use code AllieB at checkout for 20% off. CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, code AllieB. CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, code AllieB. Uh, how has this pregnancy compared to your previous pregnancy? So by the time this comes out, I probably already had the baby. Uh, but this pregnancy has been, I don't know, in some ways easier, in some ways harder. It definitely went by a lot faster than my previous pregnancies. That's just what happens because the more kids you have, the busier you are. And so things go by more quickly. I mean, as I'm recording this right now, I'm a little over 30 weeks and it's hard for me to believe. It's so hard for me to believe that I'm this far along. We've got some things coming up. And then after that's done, it's like, oh my gosh, the baby's almost here. So in that sense, it's easier. Um, I was more nauseous the first trimester than the first two. And as of now, I don't know the gender of this baby. We are keeping it a surprise. And so, of course, I'm analyzing all my different symptoms, wondering if it means it's one way or the other. Uh, Aches and pains come a little bit sooner, I would say, in subsequent uh, pregnancies. Um, but I've actually been like, I've actually been okay. I've this is the first pregnancy that I've worked out uh, past pregnancies. I just didn't. And I'm not like doing CrossFit or anything. I'm doing lower intensity like bar Pilates type uh, workouts, but I still think it helps. And um, I try to walk as much as possible. Being in your third trimester in the dead heat of the summer is not the easiest thing in the world, but it's also nice because you can wear loose clothing and you don't have to worry about bundling up and all of that. So um, yeah, I'm super excited. At this point, I'm super excited to like, nest and to be in that stage of pregnancy and to get things ready. It's so crazy the nesting instinct that happens, especially towards the end of your pregnancy. I actually felt it at the beginning, but I'm feeling it now towards the end too, that I just want to clean everything out of my cabinets and my closets and just make everything nice and clean. It really is like an instinct that God gives you while you're pregnant to do things that you could have done for the past however many years when you weren't pregnant, but for some reason, Growing a human inside you makes you want to clean your house and get things ready. Uh, we don't, as of right now, we don't have a, even a tiny part of the room ready for the baby. Honestly, haven't even considered that. But then you also realize the more pregnancies you have, how little you need those first few weeks. You really don't, if you want to, great, not shaming that, but you really don't have to have a whole nursery ready. Like you don't have to have all the decor set up. You don't have to buy everything. People with this being a surprise gender, they're like, how do you know what you need? Like, aren't you going to have to go out and buy all of this stuff if, you know, Depending on what the gender is, I mean, no. And the first few weeks, they're wearing a gray or white onesie. Now, some people do want to get super fancy. They want the monograms right away. That's not your girl. If that's you, that's great. That's not me. So I'm trying to, I have a, you know, it, it took a lot of work to prepare for what I call maternity leave because I still have to get a certain number of episodes out for the year, which means we pre-recorded all these episodes, which was a lot of work. So it was like five days a week of recording and planning and all of that on top of, you know, the other regular stuff. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I forgot what the pregnancy brain, I forgot why I was even saying that. Um, but 
it yeah so that has made it uh go by fast and I, I guess oh what I was trying to say is that I'm I'm trying not to stress myself out about things that don't need to be stressed out about like okay I've got a lot to do before the baby comes before I go on maternity leave and so I'm not gonna stress out about onesies I'm not gonna stress out about uh having it like a perfect nursery I'm not gonna stress out about things that just don't require my energy right now um so yeah, thanks for asking. I'm very, very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. I was thinking about that this morning. And please don't hear this as like, you know, I, I'm saying this as from a place of gratitude, not from a place of arrogance at all, because it has nothing to do with me. But I'm just, I'm very thankful that I have had, this is my third pregnancy, and I haven't had any kind of complications in my pregnancies. Thankfully, didn't have very many complications, well, any complications in getting pregnant. And my past two births, uh, the first two births, we're not great. Things did not go as planned, but I did have healthy babies. I recovered okay. And then we'll see how this birth goes. Lord willing, everything will be okay too. But I know that's not everyone's story. And there are so many difficulties and traumas surrounding getting pregnant, being pregnant, birth and delivery. And I just, I was thinking, I just really am so grateful that thus far I've had three pregnancies that are uneventful, which is what you want when it comes to pregnancy and birth. So I'm just very grateful for that. So thanks for asking. Okay, let me tell you all about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Naturally It's Clean, because it has come in handy so much since having kids. You guys know how many messes you are picking up as a mom on a daily basis, like how much cleaning you are constantly doing, and Naturally It's Clean makes that really easy. They've got all kinds of cleaner, safer products for your home without a lot of those toxic chemicals and fake fragrances. So they've got their multi-surface cleaner. They've got their stainless steel cleaner. They've got their laundry detergent, their floor cleaner, their carpet cleaner. I mean, all of them have been really impressive to me. The one that's been most impressive has been the carpet cleaner because you guys know it is hard to get stuff out of your carpet. I've spilled coffee, obviously with kids. You've got paint spills and like food messes and things like that. You don't want to ruin your rugs and your carpet. So make sure that you have the carpet cleaner from Naturally It's Clean on hand at all times. It really does the work for you. You leave it on for a few seconds. You scrub it out. It's really incredible. Go to naturallyitsclean.com slash Allie. You'll see my essential starter kit. You can also save 15% by using code Allie. So naturallyitsclean.com slash Allie, code Allie, naturallyitsclean.com com slash alley code alley. Uh, someone asked, biggest struggle in high school. Biggest struggle in high school. Ooh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, just about, you know, personality development. And earlier this week when we were recording the episodes for the actual week I'm recording in, it's the end of June as I'm recording this. Um, we were talking about, you know, middle school and high school and how we were and all of that. And gosh, those are such awkward years. And I'm just so thankful that um, I I graduated from high school in 2010. So when this was like right before the dawn of social media, I mean, we had Facebook, we had MySpace, we had AIM, which they, you know, were sources of distraction and comparison and insecurity in their own right, but not like what we have today. It wasn't Snapchat. It wasn't Instagram. It certainly wasn't TikTok. And so it was a lot more contained to certain parts of the internet. It wasn't as pervasive in our whole lives. And so 
We just didn't have all the pressures of social media in addition to the awkwardness and difficulty of adolescence and coming into your own and being secure in your body and being secure in your personality. So I would think that I I think that that would have I would say that that was my biggest struggle in that I have always been opinionated. I've always been strong-willed. I have always been pretty assertive. Um, I wouldn't say confrontational. I'm not necessarily confrontational, but I'm not afraid to say, well, this is what I think and this is why I think that you're wrong. Literally, since I could talk, I've been that way. And just with my parents getting into debates, getting into discussions, never taking anyone's just uh, authoritative word at face value, always wanting to wonder why, always pushing back against teachers, which is a very difficult way to be. And so I think I struggled with that, especially as a girl, knowing how do I use these strengths in a way that are feminine, that are godly, because we're told in scripture that women are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And so what does that look like when God has very clearly given someone the gift of talking and the gift of debating and discussing and argumentation and persuasion, communication, rhetoric, all of these things that I've always loved to do. I've always been passionate about doing. I've always just known deep in my heart that I was supposed to do something with these gifts. When I gave the commencement speech in college, I just remember this moment, this almost like transcendent moment, looking out into the crowd, delivering the speech saying, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I remember that moment so specifically at my college graduation. And so like, what does it look like to have a gentle and quiet spirit, to be submissive to the Lord, to be a wife that is submissive to my husband, even as he loves me as Christ loves the church? Like, what does that look like? And I struggled, I think, in high school and college thinking that I needed to just pretend that I wasn't these things, that I didn't have strong opinions, that I didn't like to speak up, that I wasn't strong-willed, that I didn't have a particular perspective that I wanted to be shared. I, even in college, because of a relationship that I was in, tried to pretend that I um that I didn't want to do this, that I didn't want to do any form of like communications because I conflated and confused uh, godliness with basically pretending to be something that I'm not. Uh, Godliness is harnessing the strengths that God has given you for his glory, putting them in the proper context that he ordained through scripture. Um, And that doesn't mean that all parts of our personalities are great and wonderful and should be flaunted all of the time, but the strengths that God has given us, they can be used for his glory. We don't have to pretend that we don't have them in order to fit our own like convoluted idea of what it means to be a godly woman or a godly man. So I think I was just insecure about, I didn't want to be seen as aggressive. I didn't want to be seen as masculine. I didn't want to be seen as you know, a diva or whatever it is that women struggle with when it comes to identity and when you are a very outspoken person. And so I would say like that was my struggle. And also I, my dad always said that I was born 26. And I think that that's true. And now, I mean, I just still feel, I've always felt old for my age. Like someone said, can you believe in nine years you're going to be 40 to me the other day? I was like, Girl, I already feel 40. <laughs> I I don't like that doesn't I've always felt in some ways like old. And so that was a struggle also in high school is that I'm, you know, 
immature still because you're 16 years old, your frontal lobe isn't developed, you don't know anything, you're super, you know, underdeveloped in a lot of ways. And yet I always just, I didn't like adolescence. (laughs) Like I didn't like everything that came with, you know, being a, being a kid. Uh, People, I don't understand when I hear people say like, oh, being an adult is so hard. It's so sad. You have so much more responsibility. I'm like, it is awesome. I love being an adult. So let me just give you an encouragement. If you who asked me this are in high school, it is so much better being an adult than being a kid. So much better. It is so much better being in the real world than it is being in high school or college. Do not believe the lie that those have to be the best years of your life, that you're always going to want to go back to high school or college. If you do, there's a problem. There's a problem there. Like we should be excited. And every different stage is difficult, of course. It comes with different struggles and different difficulties. But gosh, there's so much more freedom as an adult that you didn't have growing up. And yeah, there's a lot more responsibility. There's always more responsibility and more wisdom required of you and more sacrifice and discomfort required of you when there is more freedom. But I wouldn't trade that for the world. Like I wouldn't trade the hardships and the responsibilities that come with the freedom of adulthood for the lack of responsibility uh, and the lack of sacrifice that came with adolescence and childhood. I would never do it for anything. I would never do it. So if you're in high school, it's awkward. It's supposed to be. It's difficult. You're supposed to feel too big and too big for school and too small for the world. Like it's supposed to be a transitional period. It's okay if you don't have your best friends in the world. It's okay if this is not the greatest time in your life. It's okay if you don't love all of your classes. It's okay if you don't know what you want to do. It's okay if you're figuring out your personality. It's okay if you don't really like your body. It's okay if you used box dye on your hair and it ended up looking terrible only saying that from experience. And it's okay in college too. It's okay in college if you don't get in the sorority that you that you want to or if you do, uh it doesn't that doesn't make your life and if you don't it's not going to break your life. It's okay if you don't find your spouse in college or immediately after college. It's okay if you go through college not knowing what you want to do for the next 25 years. It's okay if you get out of college and you don't find your dream job right away and that's making $100,000 a year and uses all the talents that God has given you. I certainly did. That's okay. It's okay. The only thing you can do is the next right thing. Don't think that your identity and your worth and the rest of your future rises and falls on what happens to you, what grades you get, what friends you have, what even some of what choices you make. Of course, some choices last forever, but uh, a lot of the choices that you make in high school and college will be ultimately inconsequential. There is a God that is much bigger than you. Uh, His plan, his purpose, his providence is much bigger than you. You making a bad grade, not getting in the sorority you want, not being accepted by who you want to be accepted by, not being asked to homecoming, none of those things are big enough to thwart his plan and purpose for you. Do the next right thing. Cultivate wisdom. Try to cultivate deep lasting friendships if you can rather than focusing on temporary romantic relationships. That's my advice. Try to own the strengths that God has given you and use them for his glory rather than trying to be, you know, personality-wise, strengths-wise, something that you're not. Uh, Also, I know your teachers are trying to convince you that you're going to use physics and math one day. You're probably not. So... Um, just it's, it's okay if you don't do well in those, (laughs) in those classes. 
Okay, let me tell y'all about Seven Weeks Coffee. It's a pro-life coffee company. And the reason that they're called Seven Weeks is because at Seven Weeks Gestation, that little image bearer of God, that baby in the womb, is only the size of a coffee bean. And yet, because we know that life matters, and the owners of Seven Weeks Coffee know that life matters, they want to make sure that that child is protected as much as possible. And so they donate 10% of every sale to pregnancy pregnancy care centers across the country who are providing incredible resources for pregnant mothers and their families to ensure that they can choose life. So rather than spending your money on coffee from places that really hate you and are actually donating your money toward abortion and abortion causes and abortion supportive politicians, why not get really good organically farmed high quality coffee from Seven Weeks Coffee? Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use code Allie at checkout for 10% off. Sevenweekscoffee.com code Allie. Let's see. Someone says, why do we question dinosaurs? Well, there's a lot to question when it comes to dinosaurs. That's all I'll say. I don't know if at this point we've played the Kim Ham episode. Um, if so, you'll see why I have some questions about dinosaurs. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, it's because I think, well, it's because we've never found a full dinosaur skeleton that we've been able to put all together. We definitely don't know the scales that they have. We definitely don't know that they had spikes or how long all of their tails were. We don't know what they sounded like. Apparently, we don't even know how they made it. Like, if you look at the like anatomy, the drawings of uh, some dinosaurs, you're like, how did you procreate? How exactly did that go down? Um, I think that there's a lot of questions about dinosaurs. I'm not saying that dinosaur-like creatures never existed. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that we have a lot of reason to be skeptical about the depictions that we've been given by so-called science uh, scientists today, uh, that we just don't actually have evidence for a lot of what we hear dinosaurs were like and looked like. Now, some people think that they were completely and totally a myth in order to affirm uh Darwinianism, the idea that animals existed for thousands, millions of years before humans did. I don't I don't know. Kim Ken Ham, who whom I trust when it comes to these issues, he doesn't believe that that's uh, a conflict. Uh, and he does believe that there were dinosaur like creatures. And so I don't know. My my faith doesn't rise or fall. Uh, on that, but I think that we should approach paleontology or we should just approach like dinosaur discoveries and dinosaur depictions with a healthy dose of skepticism. That's all I'm saying. People get so mad when I say that as it like, okay, if your identity is wrapped up in like a stethosaurus, that's your problem, not mine. Um, okay, let's see. A lot of people asking me to have uh, certain people on. I always try to get the most uh, interesting people. So I get this question a lot, though. Uh, have you talked about how people freeze embryos and then don't end up using them? Yes, we've talked about that several times. We've talked about that with Jennifer Law. We've probably talked about that with Katie Faust. I've probably talked about it with Libby Emmons. Probably talked about it myself. The first time I talked about IVF and the ethical issues with, you know, uh, freezing your embryos and egg selling and sperm selling and surrogacy was all 
the way back in 2020 and birth control too, all the way back in 2020. And so you can go listen to those episodes, although I've learned a lot since then. So you might listen to them and be like, oh, this is kind of incomplete. I've learned a lot from Jennifer Lal and uh, Katie Faust and a lot of people who have been talking about the reproductive industry for a long time. Um, so obviously I'm against people freezing I'm against people freezing embryos, period. I mean, these are, if we believe, especially as Christian pro-lifers, a lot of Christian pro-lifers have frozen embryos. And maybe you froze your embryos before you thought about the uh, ethical quandary that it creates, that now there's a human being made in the image of God in its embryonic stage on ice. And um, I don't know, is that like, is that a perpetual state that we should keep human beings in because we didn't want to implant them or we couldn't implant them. There are a lot of questions about that. Now, some people implant all of the embryos that they fertilize. I still think that there are ethical questions, always going to be ethical questions when you separate sex and conception. There just are. What do we always say when technology takes us from what's natural to what's possible? There are always questions that we should ask about if it's moral or ethical. And so, and there are also complications and a lot of health risks uh, that can come with IVF. There's also like a very high attrition rate and that it is, um, it is very likely that not all of the eggs that are fertilized will, well, one, that they're implanted, but also that they survive. And so you go into it knowing the, how high the risk is, not just for the mother and some of the health complications there, but also for the little lives that you're creating. So, and I know that's a very sensitive topic and I get that. I totally understand that's a sensitive topic. Please don't hear me coming from a place of hatred or condemnation of you. Um, I think a lot of us were never told to think through these issues. We were never told that there are any questions about them. We're told over and over again that the only thing that matters is that you want to be a parent. You want to be a mom. And we're even told that that desire is indicative of God's will. Our desires are not indicative of God's will for our lives. We have to think a little bit more critically than that. But of course, if your babies were born out of IVF, they have just as much worth or just as much made in the image of God. And I know you love your kids so much. So I'm not questioning your quality of motherhood because of those things. I am questioning the ethics of IVF and just reproductive technology in general. Um, IUI, a little bit of a different story. But um, there's still, I mean, still questions when you, anytime you separate sex, just like when you separate sex from marriage, there are ethical questions about that, ethical issues that come with that. And then when you separate conception from sex, there are also going to be ethical questions to ask about that. So the question then that follows is, okay, well, what about all these embryos that are frozen? What do we do with them? Should we adopt them? And I don't, I... Yeah, I don't think it's wrong to adopt a frozen embryo. That is for sure. I do not think it is wrong. I don't think it's unethical to adopt a frozen embryo. I think it can be very redemptive and very good. And I do believe that those are human beings that have value. And there are more than a million souls on ice right now because of this reproductive industry. And it's such a cash cow for the reproductive industry. I mean, people, because they don't know what to do, they they also know that these are their children. They don't want to abandon them. Well, they don't want to 
allow them to be killed. They are, in a sense, just kind of abandoned because they're in a freezer, but they they don't want to trash them. They're scared to put them up for adoption. They don't know what to do, and they're now dealing with the ethical quandary of this, and I don't wish that on anyone to, either. That's part of the issue is that some people don't think about the problems with IVF until after they've done it, and now they don't know what to do with these little souls that they've created on ice. Um, so over a million in the country, just making so much money for some people. And it's very sad. And so, of course, the question of should we adopt them? Again, you can. There are also children who have a very low likelihood of ever being adopted, who have already gone through the pain of rejection, who have already experienced the trauma of separation, who are already going through the difficulty of foster care um, that need your love. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't adopt an embryo, but I also don't think that we should avoid, if you are called to adopt, avoid adopting the five-year-old, the 10-year-old, just because, oh, you don't get to experience pregnancy. I think there we should look at our heart behind that. Like, do you just want to adopt an embryo because you feel like um, it's easier that way or because you really want to experience pregnancy and that's why? So. There are some questions about that. Again, our desires are not necessarily indicative of God's will. So I think we need to assess that. And now this person does say, gosh, don't freeze embryos, freeze your eggs. Well, yes, in the sense that eggs are not human beings. They have human DNA, but they're not fertilized. And so they're not human beings. But I still like, except in some cases, like I understand there are cancer cases, there are very sad cases in which women, they have to freeze their eggs if they want to have like any hope one day of having a child. Again, there's still ethical questions with that, but I understand that more than someone just freezing their eggs or selling their eggs because of career, because they want to. There, But there are questions about that. Like there are moral questions about when you take your eggs out and then you freeze them and then the process that you have to go through to then fertilize them and implant them perhaps with a surrogate. There are questions about that. There are questions about the risks to the embryo, about the risks to the woman or the women involved. Um and so I wouldn't say that that's just the easy alternative. Freezing eggs, sure, better than freezing embryos, but still has the potential for some uh, complications. Okay, the talk of digital currency happening really freaks me out. There are other countries like China, for example, that are talking about switching to a digital currency our government has discussed switching to a digital currency. Obviously, that means that the government can track every single purchase that you make. And so if you are looking to maybe, I don't know, separate a portion of your savings from the US dollar to protect yourself from this, then you need to look at diversifying a portion of your savings into gold. And really the best and the easiest way to do that is through Birch Gold. They've got thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, so many five-star reviews. And if you just wanna learn more about it, that's great. They've got a no-obligation free info kit that you can have. If you just text Allie to 989-898, you'll get that free info kit. Again, no obligation. Just learn more about it. See if it's right for you. Text Allie to 989-898. Allie to 989-898. 
I'll end on this one, which is fun. Favorite thing about my wedding day. Ooh, I loved our wedding. I loved our wedding. And it was, let's see, how many years ago was it now? Eight years ago. And I still think that it was a beautiful wedding. It was very, very classic. That's that's when it pays to be like a simple gal who is not super trendy. Um, everything was like very timeless. Our dress, our flowers, our decor. It was outdoors, which I don't necessarily recommend on Labor Day weekend, <laughs> but it was in the evening and it was in the shade. And so it was okay. And it was like, it was very beautiful. Gosh, it was a really fun day. My friend did my makeup and she did a great job. I still think about what a great job Ansley did on my makeup. Um, it, but honestly, it was probably after the ceremony. I did not cry walking down the aisle. I was very emotional, but you know, sometimes the adrenaline is high that stops you from crying. My husband was crying a lot, which was really sweet. Um, honestly, our ceremony was amazing because the person who married us was did probably, I could actually tear up now thinking about it, the best delivery of the gospel um, that I've ever heard at a wedding. Oh, oh, maybe also at the pulpit, from a pulpit. But every that's what everyone said after, that I've never heard the gospel explained like that. I've never heard the gospel explained so clearly. And like, praise, there's still people who will tell us, oh my gosh, I remember your wedding. And the guy who did your wedding, who married y'all, I still think about what he said. And I'm like, that's, that's praise God. If everything else had gone wrong that day, that would have been enough. So I'm so thankful for that. That was really, really important to us. Um, also, gosh, the guy who sang during our ceremony, acoustic on the guitar was so good. Um, but okay, <laughs> probably my favorite part, like one of the most fun parts was after the ceremony, before the reception. So we did all of the pictures. I, the first time he saw me, we didn't do a first look. We just did a, we, he saw me for the first time coming down the aisle, which I would not change for the world because his reaction was absolutely, it was just priceless. And so, but we did all of the like bridesmaids and groomsmen pictures, all those pictures before the ceremony. And then after the ceremony, but before the reception, he and I did our pictures, but we made sure that everyone had a place to sit at the reception, that everyone had shade, that everyone had food, that everyone had drinks, because it is the worst when you have to stand around in your high heels and you have to wait for food and drink for like an hour so the wedding party and everyone could do their could do their pictures. So that was very important to me. Um, so we did that. And then I would say the moment that was like super fun was right after we came into the reception and everyone ate dinner, we went into a room with our dinner, like with full plates of dinner, like by ourselves in the house where we were. We got married in Athens, Georgia. And we ate, like we got to actually eat. We ate our dinner like in private by ourselves and just got to be like, oh my gosh, we're married. And then, then we went to the reception and then we sat with everyone and we had a band and it was really fun. Um, it's a great wedding, a great wedding. And then we went to Cancun the next day and that was really fun. And we still want to go back to the same place that we went and 
we just haven't um, every year. We're like, let's go back to the place where we stayed. And we still haven't. One day, we stop having them kids. We'll be able to go. <laughs> we'll go back to our honeymoon place. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, make sure you take lots of mental pictures the day of. Don't separate from your spouse at the reception. Don't go talk to people independently. Stay together because then you could get separated forever. And have lots of moments where it's just y'all two because that's what it's really about. I really don't remember everyone that I saw or everyone I talked to at my reception, but I remember being with him the whole time. And that's really what matters. Uh, all right. Okay. That's all we got time for today. We will be back here soon. Hey, Relatabells and Relatabros, if you could please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to Relatable, that would mean so much to us and it really does help the show. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Thanks. Thanks.